I can pray for you this week. I think that has its place. They may not always have something to say, but pr uh, this prayer for the ministry is an is effort of teamwork. And he uses the term to strive together. It's the idea of intense energy. It's the idea of a spiritual wrestling match. Uh, verse 31, that I may be delivered from them that believe, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem might be accepted of all saints. Pray that their work would be acceptable by all. Pray that it would be effective upon all. Verse 32, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Pray that their labor could be a labor of love. Men, ladies, do you love your jobs? You know, when we love our jobs, it's just a tremendous, it's a tremendous asset. But if we don't love our jobs, it becomes a drag. It's boring. You hate to get out of bed in the morning. My prayer is that the ministry here and the one ordained is going to look forward to this responsibility and do it with joy, do it with anticipation, so that the energy he invests in this would be refreshing not only to him but to the congregation. So pray for them that this work would be a labor of joy. And uh, turning to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, verse 18. Pray for us. Paul again asked for prayer. For we, for we trust we have a good conscience and are all things willing to live honestly. Pray for the integrity of your ministry. If there's anything Satan loves to do is to tear down their character and cause them to be tempted to fall into sin into lust or whatever it may be. So pray for their integrity, that they may live an honorable life. Because a, a, a minister, a deacon, a bishop with a life of integrity has tremendous power, has a tremendous message. But if Satan can destroy their integrity, a huge inroad of, of disaster can come into a congregation. So there needs to be a, he personally needs to have a constant alertness to always wanting to do what's right in his personal life. But you pray to that end that he would have that desire. Pray for your minister's personal character, that it doesn't become a hindrance to his effectiveness. And again, pray for his family and to pray for his children. All right, the second point I'd like to look at is Minister to them through obedience. The, your leadership carry a burden for their people, just as a parent carries a burden for their children. We naturally have a burden and a care for our children, and, and, a, and a spiritual leader, a minister, deacon, bishop that is in tune with God is going to have a burden for the people that God has put, made him responsible for. And in 3 John 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. How do we respond to them when they preach or teach or share a concern? Uh, what's our response to them uh, with our personal life? 
I believe one of the best ways to respond is through obedience. Uh, Hebrews 13:17 says, Obey them that have rule over you and watch for your souls. And submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Obey them. And obedience that is not only uh, outwardly submissive to their authority, but an obedience that comes from the heart. An obedience that comes, that, that is a result of them persuading you to do what's right. A quotation I came across in preparation of this, of this message said, Obedience is the only evidence that, that obedience is the only evidence that proves a person believes in God. And I had to think about that. There's a lot of truth to that. Obedience is an evidence that I believe that that I that I believe God. Deuteronomy 17 verse 12 has a very serious picture of disobedience to the priest. It required a death sentence. So a person who was disobedient had a negative effect to the extent that it required that they be destroyed. But we see here in 13, Hebrews 13, 17, as they are called to rule over. It's a God-given authority. It's not a responsibility that they ask for that they campaigned for. They didn't put political posters on the neighborhood streets and say, nominate so-and-so. They didn't do that. God wanted them to fill this responsibility. I remember a number of years ago and going through a difficult time in the congregation, a brother came to me and said, it's time to clean the bench. What he meant, it's time to get rid of the present ministry. And he felt the best thing I could do for the congregation was to resign. Well, needless to say, it kind of set me aback a little bit, but you know what I told him? I said, God put me to this place, and I'm not leaving till God takes me away. And so, recognize our responsibility that, they, that God has given to them. Respect that, and, and be obedient to that responsibility. They watch for your souls. The idea here of the, in the Greek of being sleepless like the mom, I don't see too, too many parents here that would have teenagers that are driving yet, but those of you who, who have teenagers that go away in the evening can, can relate to this. Uh, and I don't suppose that those mothers are different than my wife was, but when the children were away, she didn't go to bed until they were home. Now, they didn't know that. But when she saw the last car coming up the driveway, she'd go to bed. That is the same kind of care that the ministry has for their people. They want to make sure they make it home. And so that's a burden that they will constantly be carrying. They're going to be watchful for their members because they're watching for their souls. A good a spiritual leader is going to want to do everything he possibly can to make sure that his people make it home. It also says here in verse 17 that for they must give an account. And the Greek word here is the Greek word logos, consisting of words. They must give 
This is a responsibility that others don't have, but those who are ordained have the responsibility of someday giving a verbal account to God how they discharge their duties. And that's an awesome responsibility as I think about it. Have I been faithful in all that God has called me to do? Now, I want to mention this as I think about this accountability. A minister is not accountable for those who won't follow. And there will be those. But he is accountable for those who he may lead astray. And so that makes the work of a ministry serious. The ministry is not very joyful when members aren't obedient to the word of God. It takes away the joy. It makes for ministers' meetings that are burdensome. And what can we do? So whether it's disobedience to the direct commands of God or whether it's to the church standards, why should a minister be so concerned about your obedience. As I mentioned, it's a measuring stick of your relationship with God. Disobedience is an outward evidence. Disobedience is an outward evidence that you may not make it home. You may not make it to heaven. And I would say the greatest thank you that you can give to your ministry is an obedient life. An occasional pat on the back and an encouragement has its place. But there is nothing that brings greater joy than when you see your people, your children, walking in obedience. There's, there's no price tag can be put to that. All right, the third point I'd like to look at is we minister that to them by esteeming them. In uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. 1 Thessalonians. Well, I got a. Wrote a wrong deference. Yeah, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 to 13. Yep, I was in 2 Thessalonians. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. It uses the word know, the word know, uh, know them. It means to appreciate them, uh, to acknowledge them, Ho hold them in high regard, not because of who they are, but because of their work, because of their office. There's a respect for the office. Don't take them for gra granted. Uh, don't treat them like they're from outer space. Uh, but go out of your way to relate to them just like you would to your other friends. If you take your other friends out for breakfast occasionally, include your ministry. If you plan for social activities, don't just plan it around your buddy group, but include your ministry. It's a blessing to know that you're being esteemed and you're being part of, of their considerations. Don't treat them as if they were from outer space. There are some congregations that have a very high esteem for their ministry, 
but when it comes to interacting to them in a personal friendship level, they treat them like they're from another outer space or from some other country. So make sure that you include them in your activities. For verse 13, there are new, new international versions that says it like this, hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. The word highly there means to superabound to excess and then to be at peace among yourselves. Um, proper honor towards spiritual leaders results in peace in the church. Improper honor towards, or, or the lack of honor towards leadership will destroy a church in a hurry. And so it is important that we have positive attitudes, we esteem our ministry. The spiritual peace and well-being of the brotherhood is dependent upon how you respect them and how you treat them. When the brotherhood is at peace with their pastors, the church is going to grow. The opposite is also true. If there's individuals who are not at peace at, with their pastors, the church is going to deteriorate. Epaphroditus, in reference to Epaphroditus, Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 29 and 30. He says, Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he is nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service towards me. In other words, he was pointing out that Epaphroditus should be held up in reputation, held up in respect. Those who give their life to the ministry need to be esteemed. It is a great work, it is an unending work, it's a work that can only be carried on by the grace of God. And so esteeming them for what God has called them to is your duty and your responsibility. The fourth point I'd like to look at is you minister to them with double honor. Now you may wonder about that, but that is a term that is actually found in the Bible. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. It says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who, who labor in the word and doctrine. What is double honor? Well, the Greek word here is the Greek word time, which has to do with money, price, or valuables. I heard someone's interpretation of this from a Protestant setting who said that this means that ministers should be paid twice as much as everybody else in the congregation earns. Well, I disagree with that. I, I think that's a wrong interpretation. But the Amplified Bible, I think it, at least to me, brings it out a little more understandable way. It says, let the elders who perform the duties of their office well be considered doubly worthy of honor and adequate financial support, especially those who labor faithfully in preaching and teaching. So it's the idea of, of double honor, but we can't dismiss the fact that this is also referring to the material. And so there's a responsibility that the congregation has to relate to the ministry in a material way. 
Verse 18, it says, For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. In the Old Testament, the ox that worked in the corn harvest was free to eat what he needed. I uh, remember when I was a boy in the farm, and uh, my dad farmed with horses, and uh, got the privilege of cultivating. My dad used to put a basket over the horse's mouth so they wouldn't demolish the corn as they were, especially at the end when they were resting. Well, you, you don't put a basket like that over your preacher's mouth. Uh, he should be, he's worthy of his labor. Uh, they, they, uh, the ministry that use their energies and time should receive support from the congregation. Why? Well, just think about it for a minute. There's higher phone bills. There's more miles to travel. There are things that need to be purchased sometimes, especially uh, for a minister that uh, needs study week. And something that comes a little closer home. He can't work overtime like you do. He just simply can't. Because the work is overwhelming. It requires a lot of time. I was uh, back in 1992, 42 years old when I was ordained bishop. It was at that point that I chose to work part-time. I haven't worked a full week since that time. But it's not because I'm proud of that. It's because I felt that something had to give somewhere. Something had to give somewhere. And so, unless you have some other self-supporting type of business, it might be a little bit different. But be sensitive to their material needs. Be alert to that. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, actually gives us a whole chapter on this subject, a whole chapter that gives us a number of reasons why the ministry should be supported. First uh, Corinthians 9 verses 4 to 5, have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? Uh, the word power means right. Don't they have the right? to live life on an equal plane as other members in their church? Shouldn't they have that privilege? Or, or sh because of the responsibility, do they now need to cut back on how much they eat, get a smaller house, a smaller car, maybe even a horse and buggy? Well, that wouldn't be practical, but probably some of you can relate to that. You just can't get around quite as well if you don't have a good means to travel. If anything, they might need a better car than you drive because of all the time and miles that get put on. Verse 6, he says, For I only and Barnabas have not we power or the right to forbear working. Don't we have that privilege to quit working? Why? The answer is simple. So that they're free to do the Lord's work. If they have to constantly be working, they're not free to do the Lord's work. They're not available to carry out effectively that which they've been called to. 
And so we see several reasons given why support should be given. Uh, reason number one is the labor is worthy of his hire in, in verse 7. Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and feedeth not the, eateth not the milk of the flock? And so the, the question that we face here in this verse is since every occupation of life yields support for the laborer, like the gardener or the farmer, shouldn't the ministry be entitled to the same? Shouldn't they be entitled to the fruit of their labor in some way, somehow? Also in uh, uh, reason number two, the Mosaic Law leaves us with that pattern, and that's in verses, uh, verses eight and nine. For as it is written the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care of the oxen? Uh, the Levites worked at the altar. They received a portion of the meat offering. It was something that, that they, could, they could partake of. And so we have the analogy here of the, of the, of the, uh, of the Hebrew uh, or of the, the Jewish priesthood in verse 13. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Another reason given is because it's an ordinance of Jesus. Verse 14, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach of the gospel should live of the gospel. So this is not only an Old Testament teaching, it's a New Testament teaching. We also see, see what Jesus had to say about this in Luke chapter 10, verses 7 and 8. He says, In the same house remain eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his, of his hire. Go not from house to house. In other words, Jesus was pointing out to them that their energies were not to be used begging for food. Or their energies were not to be used to making sure they had food. He says in verse 8, And into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things that are set before you. Now, depending the class of people you relate to, you might have to, to satisfy yourself with a peanut butter sandwich. But that's okay. The minister doesn't need to live his life with steak and, and, and the more expensive things of life. He needs to content himself with what comes his way. Now, are there any reasons uh, why a minister should not receive uh, these gifts? Let's turn again to back to 1 Corinthians 9, uh, letter part of verse 12. Paul says this, Nevertheless, we have not used this power or this right, but rather suffer all things lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. So I've, I have several reasons here why uh, uh, a minister may choose not to receive support. One could be carnality. Paul received no support for, from the Corinthians because they would use it against him. 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 7 to 9. He says, I have committed an offense in abasing that ye, that ye may be exalted, because I have preached unto you the gospel of God freely. I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service when I was present with you and wanted. I, would, I was chargeable to no man for that which was lacking in me, the brother which came from Macedonia supplied, and in all things I have kept myself being burdensome, from being burdensome unto you, so will I keep myself. The Corinthian church was a troublesome church, and so he chose to not take anything from them for that reason. Uh, the word burdensome here means to be from any charges of accusation. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For what, it, for what is it wherein ye are inferior to other churches except that I myself was not burdensome to you? And then he says, forgive me of this wrong. Uh, but he did not want to be a financial burden to them. In verse 14, Behold, the third time I am I'm, I'm come to you, I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek yours, not yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Here we see the heart of the Apostle Paul. He really was saying that you have the responsibility to support the ministry, but I would rather have your hearts. And so it's important that the minister has an attitude that he's not looking for a handout. He's not expecting it. He's not demanding a salary. But he's content with that which comes his way. But it still doesn't relieve you of your responsibility. Another reason to maybe not re receive support is, uh, is laziness. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Neither will... Neither did we eat any of man's bread for naught, but wrought with you with labor and travail night and day, that ye might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not the power or the right, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. Now Paul did this for a specific reason. It had to do with the Thessalonians' theology. See, they believed that Jesus was going to come any moment now, and so the attitude that grows out of that, well, why waste my, my time working? Uh, you know, I might as well just sit back and it's going to happen any time. And so he had to tell them that if they, if, if they didn't eat, if they didn't work, they shouldn't eat. And so they had this particular problem. And so he chose not to take anything from them because he wanted to be an example to them and show how you work for a living. So it was because of, of, um, of laziness. Okay, another one is the opportunity that it creates in Act, Acts chapter 18, verse 3. One of the reasons he might not accept it is because of the opportunity that it can create. Acts 18, verse 3, and because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, and by their occupation they were tent makers. Working as a tent maker he viewed that as an opportunity to develop relationships with the Athenians at the workplace. And so there's something about working with other people 
that is valuable. That is why a good, why a good reason why a minister should be partially self-supporting, so that he remains an individual that knows how to relate to the person that has to work for a living. So he can't entirely divorce himself from the responsibility of working, or at least he shouldn't. His effectiveness is increased by working with people that he ministers to. And how many times are the opportunities that all of us have to minister people that we work with? It's a tremendous ministry opportunity. However, a minister cannot work full time and remain effective because the duties and demands of life have a way of crowding out the important things of God that need to be done. I look back and regret those times that I didn't take more time with someone. And I might mention this, that when I made the decision to not work full time anymore, I feared, I feared what's going to happen to my budget and to my family. And yes, there were a few times we scraped the bottom of the bucket, but looking back, those were blessed experiences. Looking back, the Lord took care of us. He did, in a super abundant way and in ways that I never anticipated. And it wasn't always with a handout of money. So I recognize a congregation is made up of different congregations are different. Some are rich, some are poor, some are halfway in between. And so if it's impossible for you to support your minister financially, there are ways that you can support him. I remember one minister saying that he never received much financially from the congregation, but one Sunday he did go home with a broiler to roast for lunch. And so if you can't help him out financially, maybe you have a chicken farm or a dairy farm, give him a gallon of milk. Little things like that is how we can show them. The church will suffer if the material pursuits of the ministry constantly interfere with church duties. And Paul to the young Timothy says in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 4, 2 Timothy 2, 4, he says, no man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. He uses the analogy of here of a soldier going to serve his country. If that soldier is going to want to keep his job and serve the country at the same time, you know what's going to happen. It's not going to work. It simply isn't going to work. The same thing can happen in the life of the church. Now, I would, I would say this, there's, there's a number of other scriptures you could turn to, but I'm not going to because of time. Uh, one caution that I'm going to give that I think is very, very important. Keep your contributions as anonymous as possible. Why? Because your leaders are human it can very easily become an unintentional bribe 
that causes the minister to become blinded to the shortcomings of the giver. And so it's important that you give your giving as, as uh, have your giving as, as anonymous as possible. Okay, in conclusion, I'd like to turn to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus 17, uh, verses 8 to 11. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go out and fight with Amalek, 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 Amalek and tomorrow we'll stand at the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. And so Joshua did as Moses had said unto him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. This was, uh, of course, the battle with the Amalekites. But we notice in verse 12, but Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were steady unto the going down of the sun. My challenge to you this morning, who is going to be an Aaron? Who is going to be a Hur? Encouragement from the congregation, support from the congregation is worth far more than money. Support your ministry, even if it taxes your own strength, because apparently the, the strength of these two men were taxed too. So even if it taxes your strength, support your ministry. Ask yourself this question, maybe two questions. Am I a source of encouragement to my ministry, or am I a source of discouragement to my ministry? I trust that you find yourself as a congregation being that source of encouragement to lift up the arms of your ministry when their arms get heavy. All right, I'm going to ask the song leader to, to lead us in a song, and then I'm going to come up and have